the uh, staff, John, asked me to, to develop a, a kind of a lecture series of sorts um, to discuss the topic of the Internet and its effect on our lives. And so we began two weeks ago um, with just kind of a broad worldview understanding of the Internet and, and to th- how to think about that as a Christian and what that looks like and its implications. And then we're picking up three issues that I see. I had to limit it to three issues that I see are particularly important for us. Last week um, was the Internet's effect on our sexuality, and we looked um, and at, the, at the effects of Internet pornography and that addiction and all that stuff and, um, and um, had a lot of, a lot of good uh, come of that. Um, and probably even more than, than we've been made aware of as pastors. But I hope that was helpful. And um, those are all online. Or if you're kind of an old school person and would like the CD, we can get you CDs. Um, but tonight, we're, we're talking about the effects of the Internet on our learning. And we're entitled The Death of Learning. In my beginning stages of preparation for the series, I found myself at the uh, University of Kentucky Library which is, of course, a gorgeous facility. And um, I was sitting at just kind of one of those great moments. I was sitting at this large oak table with just all these books that I was working through and stacks of articles and things like that. And this, uh, you know, the center rotunda there with, surrounded by all these resources, you know, with my highlighter in hand and just fully engaged. And, and I don't know if you're wired like me, but um, I love moments like that. I don't, I don't get them... Um, as often as I would like, but I love a day of study. And um, as I'm sitting there researching and preparing for this series, um, a college student comes in and sits at the desk right in front of me and um, opens up her laptop. Now, I wasn't trying, I wasn't trying to be nosy, but, well, that's a lie. That's exactly what I was doing. I was being nosy, um, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up the opportunity um, to perform my own little experiment and watch this college student work. Um, and so I observed. Now, her intention was clearly to study. Uh, she spent about five, ten minutes looking at what appeared to be online notes and things like that um, from her course. And then something happened. Um, as, if, as if her mind had reached its capacity uh, of study, of mental capacity, um, she switched gears and she logs on uh, first to Facebook. And, and from there, it was, in a sense, all over, you could say. Um, she starts browsing around Facebook and checking out friends' pages and looking at photos. And then maybe somebody posted a link on her page or whatever um, to, to YouTube. And so she clicks on that and, and then goes into this into the world of YouTube to watch some outlandish video that, that really had no meaning or value to her life. Um, and, then, and then she would bounce around um, to another site of randomness, um, perhaps an advertisement link that would catch her eye. Um, and she would just, finding herself clicking from site to site, looking at fashion and gossip news, some stranger's blog, who knows what. Um, now, I don't know. I, I went back to working. I, I don't know. Maybe she glanced back at her notes occasionally. Um, I'm sure she probably made that attempt. But every time I looked up, she was just taking in new, random, dare I say, pointless information. And we were there for about, about four hours. I was there for about four hours before I left. And she really just surfed for four hours. 
Now, here's what I want to say. She is not the exception. She is overwhelmingly normal today. The average child, before they get to college, will spend uh, 10,000 hours playing online games, um, will send, receive 200,000 emails, instant messages, um, 20,000 hours online, and maybe at the very most, at the very most, maybe read 5,000 hours in a book. This is a new age that is upon us, the information age, made possible by the internet. Now, of course, there is so much good realized by the internet, by instant information available to us. Um, There are opportunities that people before us could only dream of. But the purpose of tonight is not to highlight the benefits of the information age. I think you all have experienced that to some degree and understand that. Here's what I want to ask tonight. Are there consequences... Are there consequences to having all information available to us at all times? I believe there are. Since all all of this is is relatively new to us, the past 10 or 15 years, we're just now seeing some of these unintended consequences in our lives and in the lives of our youth. And they are more troubling, to be honest with you, they're more troubling than we never could have imagined. Our topic is death of learning, but as I got into this, um, I, I really think that title's a bit misleading. It is, is, fu- it is further reaching than learning. We're talking about instant information's effect on our minds as a whole, even on our lives. Um, the effects of pornography that we looked at last week, are, they're obvious, they're very overt, and, and we see that, and, and they're troubling, and they scare us. Tonight's discussion is a bit more subtle, yet just as important. So here's how I want to go about it. Um, I have four dangers, four consequences, as you could say, um, to discuss this evening when it comes to the age of information. Let me just, uh, for those of you who know people, let me, let me tell you up front and then we'll, we'll go at each one of them. Um, here, here are the dangers. Today, information is now all breadth and no depth. It is all ease and not labor. It is easy, not labored. It is boundless, not limited. And it is mechanical, not human. Okay, so here's the first one. It's breadth, not depth. Here's what I have in mind. We are now, we, we now know everything, yet know nothing. We know everything, yet know nothing. One author said it like this. Once we were scuba divers in the sea of words, now we zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. Here's the development we have seen. The internet has opened up the world of information to us. But it is a world that encourages breadth of information and no depth. So what we are seeing is that we know so much about so many different things. But how much of that do we need to know? And the things we do need to know, we don't really know well. We know everything we don't need to know and nothing that we do need to know. Now, what are the consequences of information received like this? Well, we see a staggering lack of knowledge in our lives and in the lives of our youth. That is knowledge as defined by the scriptures. If you have spent any time around my ministry, you've probably heard me speak um, of our current understanding of knowledge is, is not a biblical standard of knowledge. When I was in seminary, we had to do a word study project, which is basically just taking one word from Scripture and studying it at every possible angle from every different way in every different context to figure out what the Bible means by that word. Well, the word I chose was knowledge. I wanted to know what the Bible means when it speaks about knowledge. Um, because you will notice commands, um, you will notice commands like Second Peter uh, that says, grow, 
Grow in what? Knowledge of Christ. Or the New Testament authors would pray that God would grow us in a knowledge of Him. And all of this knowledge talk. And I, and I was always fascinated by verses like that. And I wanted to know what the Scriptures meant by knowledge. Here is what I discovered. Contrary to our current understanding of knowledge as a cognitive apprehension. So information received and retained. Knowledge, according to Bible, is received information a comprehension, a transformation, an experience of the truth, and finally, hopefully, a practice and application of that knowledge and truth. The most overt example that's easy to see is, is the Hebraic use of the word in the Old Testament. Adam knew Eve. What happened? Babies. We're talking about a deep, intimate knowledge of experiencing of a truth of a reality in a transformational way this is true knowledge now it used to be it used to be that information was delivered in such a way that fostered knowledge you had teachers that would step by step unpack information force you to retain it force you to practice it force you to become proficient with the information or if you individually had questions outside of your education and personally, you had to go through the process of, of research or speak to someone who had information that you desired and work through questions and, and ignorance until knowledge was achieved. But now, all information is easily, readily available and accessible. And so we are seeing folks addicted to a breadth of information many times pointless, useless, and lacking knowledge in issues that truly matter to their lives. We have eliminated reflection and, and meditation and repetition and practice of truth. They just browse. They just browse across a sea of information. And you, a lot of you here, just browse across a sea of information and the skill of deep reflection and learning, which leads to true knowledge, biblical knowledge, has been lost. Now, of course, this has many implications in our lives. Just, just common life knowledge is being lost. Knowledge that used to be assumed is just not there. Writing and grammar and language and common courtesies and, and political awareness and financial principles and current events and things like this. We're seeing a generation that has more information than you could have ever imagined, but yet is staggeringly ignorant in many ways. But even more so, religion is suffering. Christianity is suffering. They approach Christianity like information on the internet. It is just data that is to be apprehended. But faith, as we saw, is, is more than information. It is knowledge in a biblical sense. We are commanded, like I said, to grow in our knowledge of Christ. It is a truth that, yes, we, we subscribe to, we trust, we, we experience as true. It transforms our lives. We order our lives around this knowledge and we practice it and we live it out. But so many students that I work with, it's just data. It's just data received. Jesus is God. Yes, I agree. He died on the cross for sins. Yes. He rose again. Yes, I agree. I see so little reflection and discovering of the implications of our lives and changing their lives according to this truth and this knowledge and living out this reality. Instant information on the internet is turning us into people with a breadth of information, a surface of information, yet no depth 
of knowledge. Okay, so it's breadth and no depth. But not only is information breadth and no depth, it's, it's, it's also now easy and not labored. Secondly, easy, not labored. Here, here's, a, here's an interesting statistic. Did you know that more than one-third of lottery winners go bankrupt very quickly? Now, why is that the case? Well, they didn't labor for their earnings. And because of this, they don't have a true appreciation of it, and they don't know how to use it well. They don't know how to properly use it. This has similar implications when it comes to the ease of information that is now available to us. The internet has turned us all into lottery winners of information. It is truly amazing how easy it is to get answers, to find information. In a a now very famous and and humorous article published in 1995, right when the internet kind of came to be, um, in Newsweek magazine, Clifford Stoll made a claim that the internet would never work. It would never work. And one of, the, one of the main reasons for this, he said, is the totally unorganized, unedited, unfiltered, uncontrolled information. He said that it was just, and he was right, it was just an ocean of random information and we had no way to navigate through all of it. Well, what he didn't foresee is what we all know so well is the invention of the search engine which was made popular by Yahoo and now is being perfected by by Google. The search engine became the key to, I guess you could say, unlocking the power of the internet because now not only is it a breadth of information, it is now instantly accessible to your tailored specifications and needs. It would amaze you. You can do this research. It it would amaze you how good Google is getting at this. Um, Basically, they're getting to know you. They're getting to know you. Where do you live? What are your preferences? Where do you spend most of your time on the internet? And it's taking all all of this information and using it to give you an answer to your question that fits you exactly. And they're getting very precise. You've probably noticed in the past year or two that they're starting to finish your search questions, you know, and and very accurately. How did you know that? They're, They're very smart and they're getting to know you and they're giving you a perfect answer for you. And their goal, unashamedly so, is to be the first to invent artificial intelligence that will perfectly answer any question you may have, even as a thought pops into your head. But even outside of Google, technology is is to the point now where you no longer even have to search for answers. Answers find you now. Um, I'm sure you remember subscribing to the newspaper and waiting for it to arrive and reading it to discover weather, scores, stock market, headlines, world events, all those things. Um, Well, now that searching process is over. In fact, even getting online for information and searching for information in a quick way online is old school. Um, Now, your cell phone just receives updates throughout the day of all these things and so much more. You don't have to search for news. News finds you. So, So I think you understand, I guess what I'm saying is the climate of information. It is so easily obtained with no effort on your part. Okay, wonderful world we live in, that's great. But, but were we meant to receive information with such ease? I believe there are consequences to the ease of information these days. Um, I realize that kids have always been lazy, have always procrastinated, um, have always despised school in many ways, I understand that. Um, but recent studies are showing trends that are, that are very, very alarming. Educators just don't know what to do, to be honest with you. They don't know what to do. Um, Kids now couldn't care less about learning because it is so easy to obtain information whenever you want it. In other words, here's how it works. 
How can I get motivated to learn geography, history, science, spelling, whatever, when they know if they ever are in need of such information, Google will be there to help them? So, we are, so we're seeing it go like, like this. They can't get motivated to do homework and study for things that they think is really pointless because they can get that anytime they wanted it through the internet. So they can't get motivated to study and do homework, which they see as pointless. They procrastinate literally till the last minute and then they cram or often they cheat by the internet. They cram or they cheat by the internet. They get their grade and then they move on. And they're really just trying to jump through the hoops of education, get their degrees, get their certificates, and move on in life. Who cares if I know it? Who cares? It will be there, easily accessible, whenever I want it. Who cares if I learn? And so they just don't value learning. And many of you don't value learning. Why should they? Striving for answers is now so obsolete. And, you know, I must, I must confess, when I was in seminary, I... There are times, that I, I remember one time I was in the heat of my, uh, my Greek studies, trying to memorize these just infinite exceptions to this cursed language that is Greek. And I'm convinced God inspired the New Testament in Greek to force future pastors to share in the sufferings of Christ before we are ordained. And at one point... I came to my New Testament professor, Dr. Hans Bayer, who I dearly, dearly love. And I just said what all of us students were thinking. Why are we suffering through all of this when there are so many computer programs that will do all of the translating and parsing and interpretation for us? Why? And he said, and as he was always so wise, I know this. If you labor for this, you will appreciate it and you will know how to use it well. And he's exactly right. Just like lottery winners don't appreciate their riches and don't know how to use them well, we now have a generation that does not appreciate knowledge and does not know how to use it well, meaning they're unwise in the biblical sense. Back in the day when you had questions, answers were not easy to come by. They weren't as easy to come by. It took research. It took study. It took mental effort. It took conversing with other people in the know and community and all these things. And I'm sure you wish you had a friend like Google back then. It'd make your life a lot easier. But when you had the answers, you probably obtained them. You probably retained them. You probably understood them. You probably appreciated them. And most of all, you probably knew how to use that knowledge well. And of course, as with the last point, this has implications for our faith. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. We are saved. If you're here this morning, you, you heard this very clearly, and it will forever be true. We are saved by the efforts of Christ, not, not our own. There is no work, no labor, no knowledge that can make us right with God. But for the children of God, for those who have been made right with God, go home and get out your concordance, and, or I guess just Google it, and see... How God, how, how often the New Testament speaks about the believer's duty to labor and to strive for knowledge of God and of his kingdom, to strive for the kingdom and for his ways. We are called to labor, to grow in God, in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of his kingdom and of his ways. It is very difficult for me to deliver that concept to our youth. To be quite honest with you, they don't have to labor after any other knowledge in their lives. Why should knowledge of God and his kingdom be any different? So, it's hurting us. 
an ease of information where we're not laboring. Okay, it's all breath, no depth, it's easy, not labor. Thirdly, it's boundless, not limited. Um, I got into this a bit the first week, if you were here, but, but let me again state this obvious observation. One of, the things, one of the things that gives the internet such power as a technology is its boundless information. It's limitless information. It's inexhaustible. And it's, it's growing at just an unimaginable rate, about 10 million uh, pages of new information added to the internet every day. So here's the question we need to ask. Is it healthy to have access to a boundless world of information? Of course, there are many benefits to such, but, but let me share with you some what I believe could be dangerous consequences. The illustration I began my message with, um, with, with the young lady at UK, um, is a perfect example of what we are seeing as, as students, as teens, as young adults, college students, face this boundless world. There's always something else to see. It's a never-ending pursuit. So they're getting lost, even consumed by this endless game. So it goes something like this. They, they log on for a very legitimate purpose, whatever that is, and then some link catches their eye and they click. And then they bounce to another site and click and bounce to another site and click. And then it's just click, 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 hours upon hours. It would amaze you how long they can do this of just numbing themselves out in an endless world aimless world, pointless world of information that has nothing to do with them. And then hours later, they're done and they have wasted their day and usually have forgotten the original intent for logging on in the first place. Some of you know this all too well. There's just so much. It's, you go on forever. There's always another video to watch, always another picture to see, always another game to be played, always more gossip to be had. Always more lives to be observed. Always more blogs and forums and conversations to enter in. Always more curiosity to be satisfied. Always more, 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 more. It is so easy to be consumed by this boundless nature of the internet and numb out our days in just uselessness. So what are the consequences? What are the consequences? To be honest with you, I can go on forever. I'm not going to, but let me just throw out some consequences that I'm sure maybe you've noticed in your life or in the lives of your children. Um, subtle dangers to, to just getting lost in this boundless world. Have you noticed how distracted they are? Or have you noticed how distracted you are now? How short attention spans have become? How difficult it is to focus in on, on one thing in particular? Well, it is because our minds have been trained by our internet usage. One author said it like this, Our minds now expect to take in information the way the internet distributes it. It is a swiftly moving stream of particles. We have hypertext minds leaping around with cognitive structures that are parallel, not sequential, in this boundless world. The problem is that the real world doesn't operate like this. So the minds of our youth that have been shaped by the internet world are now not working in the real world. I don't know if you caught the 60 Minutes um, story by Katie Couric where she did a special on, on um, Adderall usage on college campuses, but it was particularly fascinating for us because the campus she chose was the University of Kentucky. And so she interviews UK students and professors and, and brings this troubling realization to the surface. Adderall usage is by far not the exception. It is the norm of use in col- on college campuses. Students are purchasing these pills from each other, um, and especially during finals week, because without them, they can't concentrate. 
They literally cannot concentrate without Adderall. Why? Well, I believe that their minds have been changed to operate like the internet operates, which is rapidly bouncing around, surfing around in this endless world of stimulation. And so they're distracted. Or what about this one? Um, Have you noticed how difficult it is for youth to commit to anything or for you to commit to anything? I ask a student, they want to get together on Friday or, hey, two weeks from today, we got this event coming on, you know, you, you want to be at that? And it's always the same answer. Eh, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Um, here's what's going on. Uh, Barry Schwartz wrote a fascinating book called The Paradox of Choice. Some of you have read that. Um, it's a business book, but it has implications for our discussion. In it, he, he says this, basically, giving the consumer too many choices will, will, in essence, paralyze them and keep them from making a selection. Um, And even when they do make a selection, they'll have remorse about it um, because they're dissatisfied um, with the options that they turn down by making that choice. And of course, you see the implications for our discussion. One of the consequences of a boundless world of information is we are paralyzed. There are just so many options. Always something new to discover. Always something better to observe. Always more, like I said. So their minds get trained to that process, to the process of just endless options. And so when you say, hey, I need you to commit here. I need you to make a choice, make a decision. They can't. They can't. How can they be sure that they're not missing out on something better? How do they know that that something better isn't going to arise? They don't want to commit to anything because they're afraid that by committing, they're trained to believe that commitment is simply limiting options and they will miss out on something better. So the boundless world full of options is creating an incredibly indecisive Generation. How about this one? This last one. Have you noticed how bored they are? Have you noticed the boredom? Surely you have. How lifeless we are becoming. No wonder, no amazement, no intrigue. It's pretty hard to impress our youth these days. I took, this time last year, I took six uh, graduating senior guys on a trip out to Colorado. Um, some of you parents here, let me take your children there. And um, we went out to Colorado to go skiing. And at one point, we're, we're driving through the state of Kansas. And, and uh, if any of you have ever driven through Kansas, it's just flat as could be. And so what it does is just gives you this endless horizon and this huge western skies. And we're driving through Kansas, and the sun is setting over the horizon. And our road just happens to be driving straight off into the sun. And it was just, I mean, I've never seen a sunset like this. It was just beautiful. I couldn't believe my eyes. And so I look into the rearview mirror, ex- fully expecting them to be captivated, um, I guess you could say, by, by the moment like, like I was. But there they were, you know, watching, watching their DVDs and, and um, iPods in and texting or surfing the web on their phones. And I just got so frustrated. And I just said, guys look, look, just cool. <laughs> so this is what I did. We pulled over on the side of the road, Kansas. And um, I said, get out, run. What? Go. Okay. And you should have seen these boys unleashed. They just take off teenage boys in some random field of Kansas wrestling each other and chasing tumbleweeds and running around going crazy and just for a moment unplugged, you know? Unplugged from just all their stuff and just living life. And, and it was beautiful to see. And, and then they get back in the car and get back on their phones and you did their 
to other things. But you know, you know what I'm getting at here. Um, you've seen the boredom. You've seen the loss of excitement. And here's why. They spend their days in boundless world of stimulation. There's always new, crazy, outlandish YouTube videos to watch. There's always new games with wild graphics and challenges to play. There's always more fascinating details to discover. How can life in the real world compete? It can't. And so we are bored. I can go on and on, but I think you probably get my point. A world of boundless information, of course, has many benefits, but it also has some unforeseen consequences, such as lack of concentration and commitment and lack of wonder in our youth. And of course, you can see, again, the implications um, upon their relationships with God. It is more difficult than ever to call teens to follow Christ. Not necessarily because of the temptations of the world, though they are many, but because their minds don't really connect with Christianity. Their minds don't work with faith in Christ and a walk with the Lord. Teens have a difficult time concentrating, like we saw on going deep. Well, how does that affect the Christian disciplines, such as Bible readings and prayer, or even their worship? They can't concentrate. How does it affect those things? Teens find it almost impossible to commit to anything. Well, how does that affect their commitment to Christ and His ways? Teens have a hard, they're bored. They have a hard time being amazed by anything, moved by glory. Well, how does that affect their wonder and worship of the glory of God? Truth be told, a relationship with God is a day-in, day-out journey of commitment of commitment. Today I wake up and I serve the Lord. It is not just one stimulation after another, another discovery, a new excitement every moment of your life. And my discovery as a youth pastor is that teens, with their endless stimulation and distractions, are finding such a calling incredibly difficult and unappealing. So, we have information that's all breadth and no depth, easy, not labor, boundless, not limited. Finally, um, it's mechanical and not human. Here's where I believe things get pretty scary for us. If I ask anybody, anybody my age or below a question that they don't know, um, the first place they will turn to, and usually the only place they will turn to, is, of course, Google. Um, well, that's, that's fine, and you will get results very quickly, and sometimes they will be accurate results. But do you know what Google will never have and what your internet will never have? The indelible mark of an image bearer. It will never be a person. We have, we have disconnected information from human beings, and that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. We are taught, trained, educated, and raised by computers, not humans. Which means that there is no room for human discovery, human emotions, context, wisdom, cultural considerations, sensitivity. It's just raw data. It's just data. But more often than not, you don't need raw data. You need a person. You don't need just information. So the wife comes to the husband and says, how's this outfit look? Good. And she's angry. Why is she angry? Well, she wasn't looking for just raw data. 
She wanted a person. She didn't want the Google answer. She wanted you to say, it's beautiful. Oh, I love the way it just looks on you and you know, your eyes and all. It looks just great together. It's beautiful. That's what she's after. Not just the Google answer. It's just, yes, looks good. And we're turning to computers for information and teaching and learning. And all they give us is the mechanical, machine-like computer answer. They just give us data. They don't give us image-bearing answers. And, and we suffer for it. You get a really bad headache. And so you go to Google and say, I have a really bad headache. What's up with this? Answer? Well, it could be many things, including a brain tumor. Ah, I'm dying. And you're laughing because you know you do it. And you freak out. Well, that's because you turn to a computer, a person, a human being. A doctor would be able to consider you, your context, your situation. He would be wise and gentle and caring and realistic about the circumstances and all those things that a computer is just not. I'm telling you, we're laughing about these examples, but the problem is far bigger than you realize. What are the consequences of a culture now turning to Google as a mentor in all things? It can get very scary. One, one, one situation I came across a, a few years back, AOL had a lawsuit because um, somebody hacked into to, to their search engine and, and, and got all the data that everybody was searching from their home computers. And a lot of it became public and it was just a mess. And people were seeing what other people were searching for, which was, by the way, a fascinating look into human nature and depravity. But here is a, here is a sad, sad situation um, that's kind of become famous um, from, one, from one computer. Here is what this person searched. Um, and these are not instant searches, back to back to back. This is just days, kind of, you can see the process happen. Um, first search, curb morning sickness. Get fit while pregnant. Foods to eat when pregnant. Baby names. Baby names and meanings. Physician search. Maternity clothes. Pregnancy workout videos. Buns of steel video. What is yoga? Is yoga aligned with Christianity? And so you see, you see what you're seeing here is, is this young lady who's pregnant, checking it all out, finding answers to all of her questions, excited, all these things. And, and she's, you can see maybe she's got a Christian worldview, thinking through is yoga aligned with Christianity, all that stuff. Very fun, beautiful, and exciting. Sharing excitement with Google, whatever. But, but, then, but then it just takes his turn. He doesn't want the baby. You're pregnant. He doesn't want the baby. Abortion clinic, Charlotte, North Carolina. Greater Carolina Women's Center. Roe versus Wade. Can Christians be forgiven for abortion? Abortion clinics in Charlotte, North Carolina. Isn't that so sad? And I, I read that, and my immediate thought is, oh, how badly I want to see you in my office as a person. You know, I want you, to, I want you to cry your eyes out, and I want to speak to you about your, 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 your anger towards your boyfriend, and I want to talk to you about your fears and your, your anxiety, and, and I want to pastor you through it. As a person, I want to pastor you through this, who, who understands what you're going through, who can hold out hope, who can perhaps offer another way. And here's this young lady in the most conflicted, frightening, painful time of her life, and she's going to her laptop for help. And that would have been unthinkable 20 years ago. But now it's just what we do. And here's the worst part of it all. As we turn over and over again to the computer as our teacher and mentor, guess what we become like? A computer. Have you ever noticed how the apprentice naturally becomes like, like the teacher? 
They speak like them, act like them, make decisions like them. You've seen that before. Well, think about the implications of a generation with Google as their teacher. Think about what that does to us. You become like the one you learn from. What is happening is our minds are being programmed to operate like machines, not humans. We, we are being turned ourselves into artificial intelligence. Computers don't understand image bearing or morality or creative thinking or human emotion. And soon we won't either. And your children won't either. As we immerse ourselves into this technological world of the internet, we are going to lose fundamental human characteristics. And the scariest of all is that belief in God will be forgotten. Craig Gay, Craig Gay wrote a book called The Way of the Modern World, subtitled Why It's Tempting to Live as If God Doesn't Exist. One chapter in there is entitled The, the Irrelevance of God in the Technological Society, and it is scary. It is scary if what he says is true. If you think the age of modernism and modern science was a threat to God, wait until we see a culture run by machines where God and morality and meaning and purpose and value and wisdom and creative, independent, image-bearing thinking are not intelligible concepts. Therefore, though we are more informed than ever before, we are creating a society of fools. For as the scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Learning now is mechanical, not human, and who knows where it will take us as a society. Okay, with, with that diagnostic attempt, let me end our time, and this will be, um, will, will be briefer, um, offering what I hope will be some helpful solutions to curb some of these effects in your life and in the life of your children. That's the diagnosis. Let's, let's look for help. Um, what I want to do briefly is go back through those four categories, those four dangers that I outlined, and help us think through some ways to push back against those effects in our lives. Um, before I do it, let me mention one, partic- um, one principle that I need to be said. I probably should have said it the first week. probably should have said it last week. I'm going to say it this week. Um, and um, Paul Briggs helped me. He gave me some good feedback here, and, and, and I, want to, I want to mention this. Um, you need to be addressing this at an early age. The, this series is focusing more on parents with kids who are in this right now and on children uh, and on young adults who are struggling with this, college students or whatever. But if you're young, if you have young kids like myself, you're at a real advantage here. And so in all of these things, start this early. This is not wait until they get there in the heat and now you know how to fight. This is begin early, which, which means for our discussion, um, read to them. Don't, don't let them be raised by computers and TVs. Foster an environment of learning and engagement and creativity and all those things that accompany image bearers in this real world. Don't let the computer and the TV raise your children. Um, so that's, that's an aside that Paul helped me think through, and I think that's helpful. I um, mean, by the way, also, uh, I need to say this. I'm not, a, I'm not, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'm not a huge expert on technology and all this stuff. There are people who are experts, um, Jim Grafume and Paul Briggs and guys like this in our church that are just wonderful at this stuff, and they know more than me. And if you're a person who'd like to go a lot deeper in this, um, then, then they're the people to, uh, to talk to. Um, they can use their gifts to help our church in that way. Okay. All right. So here what we're going to do. We're going to go through these four principles that I mentioned, these four dangers that I mentioned. We're going to look at, at, at some help here. Um, and, and I'm going to primarily do my application towards parents. Um, but if you're, a, if you're a college student, young adult, um, whatever, uh, don't have kids, you just get to apply this to your life personally. Think through how it'll work for you. Um, I think it'll be an easy connection to make. So the first thing I said is that, 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 that information now is all breadth and no depth. Um, 
And I said basically um, that the implication being that we know everything, but we don't know anything really well. Reflection and contemplation and transform, transformational beliefs, um, practicing applying knowledge, those are things missing. Here's my encouragement to this. Um, now more than ever, now more than ever, you need to engage your children. Foster a home of depth of knowledge. It used to be as parents that you could trust educational systems to do this, but those days are gone. Not because of our wonderful educators that are trying their best to do this, but because kids, as I showed you, are just not willing to go there with their teachers. They're not willing to go there anymore because truth be told, why do they need to do it? It's there for them whenever they want it. So you parents force them to go there. Um, do you remember the scene from Rear Runs Through It? It's one of my favorite movies. It's my two passions, Presbyterian theology and, and fly fishing all in one. Love that movie. Um, where the father, a Presbyterian minister, forces his son to write his essay over and over and over again. It's just this cool scene where the, the, the kid would bring his essay and set it on his father's desk and he'd get it and mark it all up and correct grammar and spelling and sentences and cut stuff out and hand it back to him and says again. And the kid would go up to his room and he'd make changes and bring it back. And his father would mark it up and again. And they did this process over and over again. And the kid gets done, and, uh, and it finally the father's happy with it. The, the dad's happy with it. And he says, good, now throw it away and go play. And the kid wads it up and throws it in the trash and runs out and fly fishes. What he's saying there is that he wasn't even necessarily interested in the final product as much as he was his son learning to go deep. It wasn't necessarily that he wanted this great essay from his son. He wanted his son to go through the process of going deep. And there's a lot of wisdom there. We must parent in such a way that we force our children to be healthy and strong mentally. To where their minds are not just filled with a bunch of random data. But they know how to process and think through issues and learn implications for their lives and apply those truths. So more than ever, more than ever today, go there with your kids engage them dinners together with insightful conversations train them in knowledge and wisdom they want to go there more than you know i know you think that no oh, my kid will hate that he won't she won't they really won't some of the you know on our youth retreats that we go on you'd be surprised to know you know what the the most enjoyable time for our kids are the trips to and from the retreat and, and the nights in the hotel rooms why because we're just forced to talk and engage. And they're asking me questions and I'm helping them think through answers to this. And they're, they're throwing zingers at me, trying to catch me in some theological, you know, whatever. And, and I'm answering the questions and we're thinking through implications. We're talking about life. They love that. And they would love for you to be there with them. Engage them. Um, so as a parent, train your children to stop skimming the surface and dive down into the depths of knowledge and understanding. Okay, second one I said was that information now is easy, not labored. My observation was that we no longer have to labor for information and answers, and therefore knowledge is not um, appreciated or even used well. Okay, my help here is simple. Um, make them work. <laughs> make them work for it. Parents have always had to instill um, the value of hard work into their kids. You know this. Um, you give them chores to do. You make them get a job, things like that. What you're doing there is forcing them to labor after something so that they will learn the discipline of hard work and appreciate it. Well, before there was no way around laboring for knowledge, 
It used to be that you couldn't get around it. You just had to work hard for knowledge because you were ignorant. And the only way to find answers was to pay attention in school, do your homework, read the books, study for the tests, etc. Well, we saw how that process has been totally bypassed by instant information on the internet. So now parents need to start thinking through how to instill the value of hard work mentally. Start thinking through, how can I force my child to be a hard worker to labor mentally for answers and for truth and knowledge? Here's, here's a very easy application that you can all do. I'm letting you in on a secret that, that your kids will despise me for. The internet is doing their schoolwork for them. It is. It is doing their schoolwork for them. If they have a book to read, they do not read it. Some do, but many don't read it. Websites like SpartanOaks.com and things like that will give them a nice, neat summary. It is so easy. It is so easy to find out what a book says. If they have a paper to write, all they do is Google the topic. And they are giving thousands of essays that they can either copy word for word or just put into their own language. If they have a math problem, just put it into Google. That answer will come instantly. The internet is doing their homework. I, I, you know what? Let me ask you this. If something like that were available to you when you were a teenager, would you have used it? Yes. Exactly. They're going to use it. They're going to take the easy way out. So, application. Don't let them use it. Don't let them use it. Don't let them get around learning and schoolwork and just things that just used to be taken for granted that you can't take for granted anymore. Make them labor. I had to do it. You had to do it. Make them do it. Make them labor for answers and for truth. And they'll say to you, but mom, I have to have this class. I have to have the internet for this class. Well, here's what you do. Go to, your, go to the teachers. Easy solution. Go to the teacher. Speak to each teacher and ask them. Outline exactly how much they need to be using the internet for your class and, and the nature of it. Find that out. And then anything else, sorry. Sorry. Work through it. Labor through it. In the same way you have to work to train your kids away from laziness and productivity and hard work, you now must do that with their minds. Force them to labor for knowledge. Okay, my third, my third uh, warning was that information, information now is boundless, not limited. If you remember, I said that information knows no limits and consequently we are seeing our youth uh, with short attention spans and distracted, unable to focus, commit, just bored, lack of wonder. Um, the reason being is they spend their days lost in this endless world of skipping around from site to site, always on a quest to discover more. Okay, my encouragement here is simple as well. We need to limit the limitless world of information that is available to you. You as a, if, you, if you're an adult here and you're struggling here, you need to get help, accountability, whatever, but you need to limit the limitless world of information that's available to you and you need to limit your children's um, world. Um, I keep coming back to this simple principle but, it, but it, it, is just, it ensures prudent internet usage. It really does. Are you controlling the internet or is it controlling you? Is your child controlling the internet or, or, is, your child, or is, your, is the internet controlling your child? If you spend hours upon hours aimlessly lost in pointless information, it is a control issue. It is a lordship issue. So what is a good principle to keep in mind for you personally and as parents is, um, is, is purpose purpose, information with purpose. You are always after information with a purpose, never aimless info. Do I need this? Do I need this information in light of my calling and my context and my needs? Is this information relevant and important to my life? If I were to stop you in the middle of it and just say, okay, stop. Why are you there? Tell me why you were here looking at this. Could you give an answer? 
If you were to stop your child in the middle of it and say, stop, why here? Could they give an answer, a good answer to that? Never purposeless information, never aimless information with a purpose. That's what the internet is designed for. Now, by the way, that, I, I, um, this doesn't mean that, internet isn't a, or that entertainment isn't a viable um, use of the internet. There are times for that. There are times for that, just like there's time for entertainment. There's some, you know, hilarious videos on YouTube that's sinful not to watch because they're hilarious. Enjoy that. Okay, good. But it's always in proportion. It's always to do it rightly. You never would just let a kid entertain themselves all day long. You never would do that, but they're doing that on the computer. So don't fill your days with just meaningless. Information with a purpose is key for you and your child. We must limit the limitless world of information, or we will find ourselves spending our days lost. Okay, my last principle was this. My last warning was this. Mechanical, not human. Um, remember I said that um, our fears that we're turning to the internet for answers and guidance as a mentor. We're turning to Google as a mentor. And um, the danger of that is that it's not a human being. It's technology. It doesn't understand creativity and human emotions and wisdom and context and morality or even God. Um, so we, we return again and again to Google for our answers in life. We're becoming like Google. Okay, um, what would I say to that? Well, you need to ensure that you, your children, have a mentor other than Google. You, especially if you're a young adult, you need a mentor other than Google. I haven't necessarily done a lot of things right in my life um, but I can tell you one thing I've done right, and I believe it is the key. I, I would tell anybody this. It is the key to who I am today, um, for better or worse. My teenage years on, I have sat at the feet of people wiser than me. It's just a good old biblical principle that by the grace of God, for some reason, I always have made a priority in my life. When I was a teenager, I had a young life leader that um, poured his life into me, who invested in me, who I spoke to about life's problems and the struggles of adolescence and the joys and the pains of all of that. And he guided me, even ultimately guiding me to Christ. When I was in college, I had men who discipled me and trained me in Christianity and what it meant to be a godly man. I had men who poured their lives into me. When I left college, I came here and did an internship and sat with Brad Waller as he taught me, here's what it means to be a youth pastor. Here's how you do youth pastoring well. And I went to seminary and I gravitated to professors like Hans Beyer, I mentioned earlier, Dan Doriani and Jaron Bars, who, 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 who taught me to go deep in theology and exegesis and scripture. And then for the past five years, I've sat here week after week under John Sartell and just learned just learn what it meant to be a pastor, how to lead a church, how to build a church. I haven't done a lot of things right, but if I have done one thing right, it is sit at the feet of wise men. This is so important now more than ever. In the age of technology, in the age of the internet, instant information, when all of life's questions are available with just a click, it is imperative that your child learn from a real-life mentor. I could have... I could have, when I was in high school, Googled, you know, I don't know, uh, you know how to be a teenager, or what, what should I do here, and gotten answers. I could have gone to college and, and, and Googled college Bible studies. I could have Googled how to do youth ministry. I could have Googled deep theology and exegesis. I could have Googled how to be a pastor. 
I could have done all those things and I would have gotten answers, but I believe this with all of my heart, I believe this. I would not be who I am today at all. And I would not be standing here today talking to you. It is imperative. And you say to me, well, where, where am I going to find that for my child? Where am I find that to, for myself? Welcome to the beauty of the body of Christ. You hold us accountable to the vows we took when we baptized your child and said, we will be there with you. We will do this with you. We will come alongside you. We will help. Hold us accountable to that. There are men and women in this church who would love to invest in your child. And you invest in your child. But we need mentors in our lives. And of course, shameless plug, it can begin by sending them to my youth group. You're allowed to do that. That's, that's what you're paying me to do. To, to, to be an influence in your life of your child. I will make mistakes, but I can do better than Google. I can promise you that. Send them, send them to see me. Now more than ever, we need mentors. Okay, so those are just some encouragements for each of these dangers. They're certainly not exhaustive suggestions. Uh, the answer, the key, but perhaps it will get you thinking and begin conversations um, about this stuff that you probably hadn't thought through a lot of that stuff before, um, about how to curb the consequences of this. Let me close with this final word of exhortation. The verse that kept coming to my mind as I prepared for this lecture is one you know well from Deuteronomy 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And then he says this, These commandments that I give to you this day, they are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The command of God here is very simple. There should be one and only one thing that stands at the center of your life and of your home. The law of God. The commands of God, God and His ways. You and your children's lives should be ordered around God and His ways. In my honest assessment, I don't see many homes like this today. Sadly, I see many people ordering their lives around a computer, around the internet. It stands at the center of their life. And so, I I charge you, I charge you, parents, dethrone the internet from your home. Do not let it sit on the throne of your home. Don't let it rule your life. Don't let it rule the life of your children. Instead, may the Lord your God sit on the throne of your home. May His commandments order your life. May may your children be familiar with His ways. May, May they be brought up in knowledge of Christ. For then your home will bring glory to God and it will be good for your children. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take us and assist us in applying this, Lord. Um, this, these are things that um, I confess are, are, are things I don't necessarily understand all too well and, and, and difficult to rethink everything in this new age and what it means to be a parent and what it means to honor you and all those questions, Lord. But it's worth going there. And, and I pray we would. I pray this would begin conversations. I pray that we begin to think through this. Lord, I pray, as John prays, as Mark prayed before, I pray that we would have a generation that rises up 
full of knowledge and truth. Where Christ and his ways orders their lives. That here is a place where children are not just numbing out their days and useless information. Lord, that begins with us and our repentance and our example. Lord, if there's anybody here addicted to the internet, free them by your spirit. I pray for new conviction and repentance. This is an important issue, Lord. Fill us with you. Fill us with your truth. Grow us as a church in the knowledge of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.